Millions up for grabs. Retailers closing worldwide. Salespeople losing their jobs. Online sales at an all-time high. Your route to financial freedom. Getting best sellers online. Getting a piece of the action. Learn from the top sellers. Become a top seller. Ecom leaders start now. All right, so today I have on with me Mr. Vinny Fisher, okay, and who has an amazing uh, accounting, outsourcing, CFO, financial wizard slash guru slash finance person for entrepreneurs on. So uh, welcome to the show. Aaron, thanks for having me, buddy. Awesome. So uh, I guess first, the, the first thing, you know, could you explain, you know, uh, what you do and, uh, and give me the story of like how you got into this business that you're in. Uh, I know finance is one of the most lucrative and obviously cause it deals with money, like money makes money. It's kind of yeah, like a I, thing, but how'd you end up in this field? Yeah. So, you know, I am not, you know, so the service we provide is a fractional CFO and controller service. We run the entire back office for e-commerce companies doing at least seven figures of annual revenue. Right. And so, how I got into this space. And I'm not before, one of the, hold on, before, before, could you explain this fractional CFO? Because I think people yeah. might be like, huh, what is this fractional CFO before you get into the whole deal? Yeah. So I was, yep. Yep. So think of it, uh, you buy a piece, right? So our motto is time, money, and resources. So a fraction is a fraction of the amount of time you'd have to spend to have a CFO full time on your team. You get that expert, all of the resources that he or she brings to the table and you pay a fraction of the cost that you would otherwise pay to have a full-time CFO on your team. Mm, okay. Okay. So like, let's say instead of 40 hours a week, you can hire him for 10 hours a week. Is that what that basically right. means? That's right. Okay. Okay, cool. So then yeah, go, go ahead. You're going to say how you, how yeah, you so, it. you know, I, uh, I built this to solve a problem that I had in, you know, as a leader of a business, I had, uh, I lacked a little of financial knowledge, I also am a good marketer and salesperson, so I would be good at making an offer or selling a product, but I I never really had a relationship to the profit margin or the bottom line of the company. I I cared more about gross revenue than I did about net revenue. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is I'd grow up these big companies and break them because I wasn't really had a relationship to the bottom line. And so 2014, that all changed for me where kind of a light bulb moment went on after breaking another eight figure business that I wanted to do. Eight figures, how big, how big? I had it going at uh, just a hair over four million a month. Okay. Wow. Wow. And what kind of what kind of company was that? So that one was a health supplement company. We sold mass market health supplements. Uh, E-commerce or retail? What's that? E-commerce or retail? Both. Actually, we one of our face creams got into a retail uh, establishment, uh, Purabella. So it had a good run for women. Um, our demographic was. Uh, 35 to 55. And so the face cream had a good run for like a 45 year old woman. Uh, that was one of the key attributes to selling the business when we sold it. Uh, it was called consumer's choice. But in the middle of all that, to be real, we were doing north of 3 million in revenue. And I had about 8% profit margin. We were razor thin. When we actually got done and really started paying attention to the bottom line and fixing our leaky bucket, we were actually at a 22% profit margin. Wow. So that's a triple. You tripled actually what your take home, which clearly is obviously a very important, if not the most important metric. And when you said you ran it to the ground, it doesn't sound like you ran it to the ground. It sounds like you, 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 there was no running to the ground. You ended up selling that business? Yeah, we sold it. Now I did actually, if I didn't invest some of our own money back at that stage where we ran tight on acquiring the customer. Um, so I bailed us out. And if I didn't do that, I would have run that thing into the ground. 
Okay, okay. So theory, but you did it. Although you, it, it was razor thin, not comfortable. percent. I've been around that area. It's not comfortable. Um, but you were able to triple, which is more obviously clearly. So how long did it take you to go from that 8% to like the 22% margin after you bailed uh, it out? Uh, about nine months. Nine months. Wow. That's brilliant. And that's, and you were already at that like 40 million range. Yeah, we were doing, we were doing a little, we were doing about 3.5 a month and we got it before we capped out, we were at about 4.7 a month. Wow. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. So, wow. And so then after that, uh, you sold it, I'm assuming for a decent amount This company that size sells really well, or did you sell? Kind yeah, of I mean, we, we, took, we did, we did pretty good. We took some hits because we, I, you know, I was, I'm a direct to consumer guy. So I didn't care as much, so much about the brand. I, my offers could have um, been a little tighter in the sense of what corporate branding likes. I, I could have been a little bit better the way we ran our merchant processing, you know, the way I built our VSL style offer pages, you know, I cared more about getting the first customer than, than I did about keeping them. There were things I took, took hits in our valuation too, but overall, yeah, it was a good deal. Okay, sweet. So then after that, you decided, okay, mail us money in, in, uh, in the consumer, like selling to the consumer, doing the brand. And what made you just want to say like, okay, let's switch models entirely after, you know, having such a success and you wanted to switch to something else. You know, it, quite honestly, Aaron, it was value proposition. To me, we, I, I, I didn't have a problem with the efficacy of what we we're doing. I love the health business. Um, but at the, we, when we solved our own problem, we started actually a few of our friends in the space were like, hey, what is it you guys are doing? And mm. next thing you knew, we, we knew we had something and we started doing it for um, a few friends in the space before we even named it. And I remember just naming it from the car. Hey, I think we got something here. Let's do something with this. And so um, even though... I knew it was going to be harder to grow and it was going to take a longer process to growing it. Uh, we, we're, we were, we are, and we're at the time meeting a need in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so I felt compelled to do it. You know, at some point you, you go up against the struggle of success versus significance in everyone's life. And so I'm thankful. Meaning dollars it. or value. Is that what you mean? Yeah, both. Right. Both. In some cases, like I already have had some zeros and commas in my life. And so <laughs> What, what's really going to equate to some of the value propositions that one, I have, and two, I offer to other people. And so, um, you know, I, I believe, and I've, I'm thankful for this journey, but I believe that the value proposition of what you offer to your prospect to consumer is what leads to profit and ultimate value of your company. And so we started down the road of, 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 of this service, which service businesses are stupid hard to grow and scale. And yep. uh, my product businesses were way easier to grow and scale. May not have been easier to keep the money, but they were way easier to grow and scale. And um, so we took on the hard work. I'm thankful to have teams that that do those do that work and i love that we have a coo and a whole staff uh and, and so now it's way harder to break than it would be my product company i'll be real there way easier to break your product company at any size or scale than it is to, to really break a service company with hundreds of customers and uh, hundreds of companies that rely on you every day to do what you do great and so what, what when you're saying you know they rely on you like what kind of uh, retention or like when people come on and 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 you know, hire your services, right? Hey, I want a, a CFO for X amount. Like what, what does that look like? What they hire you on, you're seeing a, a big change in the company and they keep you on for a long time. Yeah. So the average, you know, in the accounting industry, the average client stays five to seven years, mm. right? 
So we have some of the longest retention of everybody. You know, digital agencies would love to have something even within half of that as their idea of how long they keep a customer. But you know, you know, we have a less than a less than four percent churn rate annualized, and um, you know that's pretty impressive for a growing company that focuses on our category because lots of times e-commerce and digital companies tend to have uh, maybe a little less seasoned professional, and that means there might be a little bit more volatility. So even a traditional accounting firm might have a little less churn, but they also don't really niche down and focus on this industry as their expertise. Hmm, very interesting. Okay, yeah. and so um, could you like for, let's say our company, right? Yeah. Uh, Amazon or just uh, take any run of the mill, not run of the mill, whatever, special, amazing company, right? Private label guys. Uh, let's say doing anywhere between, you know, 2 million plus could be 10 million, could be 5 million, you know, 20 million, whatever. Um, I have seen a lot of people don't understand, you know, their PNL, right? That's right. What, what is like your profit and loss? Okay. So you have all this product and there's a cost of goods. And yep. like, how do you calculate cost of goods and advertising and, oh, where we're losing money and, oh, we should put money here to make money. That's one of my most financial stable concepts. Okay. And, and that's where I think the CFO or that role, that position of finance director, whatever you want to call them, should be responsible for making more money. So it's like, this is just a concept I have and, and I don't know. No, actually, the only thing I would say to you is, Aaron, I liked everything you just said there. Our, our, uh, our CFOs, and I believe this is true business-wise, our CFOs shouldn't be responsible for making more money, but they're certainly responsible for making sure we keep more money. Mm, okay. Okay, good. Good. So, so that's that concept. And so, uh, and me, I know in, in a, where you want to put your money, let's say as a CEO or even, let's put it that way, the ownership of the money, when your money is making more money, that is obviously the best thing, right? When your money will be put to a use where it's going to give you a, a big return. Now, that's just my, that's me. Like if I want to know where, where I need to spend money, it's not about where, where's the biggest noise. It's what is going to make the company more money. Let's say new products, if it's new, whatever. Anyway, so that's, that's just a concept I have. Now, whether that's the CFO role, that's the CEO role or whatever, um, I'm just sharing with you my idea. Um, I like it. I don't disagree with any of that. Yep. And understanding the PL, it's good to know like, oh crap, well, we spent, you know, 5% on ads this month okay, well, if next, you know, we need to grow. Maybe we can bring that up like to seven or 8% and that's going to bring us more money or we're spending money here. We're not using this clearly. So in terms of um, somebody, let's say who doesn't understand PL and basically just has been running and just doesn't even know they do their taxes once a year and they kind of get the margin at that point. What do you do for those people? Yeah. So my, the, the, we got to remember something. I designed this business for me. I didn't understand that PL. Now, let me, get, I have a gift for everybody. Okay. So at fullyaccountable.com forward slash ecom leaders, you can go there um, and get access to two of our best selling books. One of them is called False Profits. It's a book I wrote about the journey of building Fully Accountable. And, and why I'm telling you that is one, go get all those resources. I'm giving you everything you need to actually be successful at building your own back office. And to the extent you don't want to go build it, you, you pay us, a company like us, for expertise and, and resources. If you want to go do yourself, go do yourself. And I'll give you every bit of the roadmap to go do it. But here's what you need. You need an interactive P&L. And what does that mean? The problem that we as small businesses have been sold by the, mar the free market 
is most tools are built for big businesses. Mm -hmm. And the small business has been designed to be a flow through entity, meaning you and I as the taxpayer, we deal with taxes and we're designed to deal with us personally at the end of the year. Well, there's a layer of the business that needs to be run that has its own set of tax complexities before you even get to the personal taxpayer. But because we've been trained in this habit and it's all us at the end, we run it like it's all us at the end. And so the way I designed our company was to give me a real P&L every day. If I'm doing something mm. with major transactions, I want to see my P&L real live now. Why would I want to wait minimum 45, 60, 90 days to find out I bled to get the death 45 days ago? And so I learned quickly that the P&L should tell a story, one, not only of just revenue coming the door, I should know my fluctuations on my cost of goods sold, my media. You know that in e-commerce, 42 cents of every dollar is spent either acquiring or reacquiring the customer. It's such an expensive category. We need to be monitoring and watching that every day. And so we have a report, depending on the frequency of transactions that comes out for sure daily and weekly, that is always pushing into these benchmarks that sit along your P&L. And so that, the shame is the old accounting industry would just tie up your books for your quarter or for your taxes. The reality is it needs to be run like every other business and be closed out every month. But because we have so many high transactions, we should be looking at cash balance statements and merchant processing and inventory controls every day. Beautiful. Okay, so a couple things to unpack there. Um, the first one you mentioned, uh, 40, 37, 42% of uh, e-commerce uh, sales is spent acquiring or uh, reacquiring customer. Now, I know in, in Amazon, so just talking to a lot of people, the average ad spend, just advertising, you know, is between somewhere between like, one or two percent extremely low five percent is pretty low and then kind of industry standard in amazon is about 10 to 15 is on ads pure ads now yep. uh, in in that 42 percent is it what are we talking about like fulfillment ads like what 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 is calculated so, uh, so in in so direct to your shopping cart versus a marketplace seller like amazon mm -hmm. the the one thing that's interesting that and i know what i might have my own strange thoughts oh, and 15 percent is amazon fee you can count that well, I that's what I was just going to yeah. talk to you about, Aaron, is that in Amazon, the pay to play of having good SEO is I got to pay the house 15 points. And that's really a marketing cost. That's not a fulfillment cost. Correct, correct, and yeah. so everyone's acting like the 1% for ads. I'm 15% off the top, just mm -hmm. the right to have my ad optimized mm -hmm. to hopefully get organic traffic and the right to go spend money on reviews and optimize the listing. I have probably a 20 to 25% real cost to be able to get organic traffic from Amazon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's say Amazon, I would probably then put it, if you count that 15%, somewhere 30 to 40% is on the marketing. Um, yeah. Which, that's real. So that's, that's probably, yeah. you know, it's less than probably the traditional e-commerce store, but okay. Good point. Yeah. But then we make up for it in other areas. So it really rounds out, you know, and I, I'll tell you in chapter two of the book, I call it solving for X. Mm -hmm. You know, I double dog dare anyone to go read it. You're going to learn more about as the CEO of your own company, how you would really have a relationship to acquisition costs and back into it, knowing that your, your type of business has an acceptable profit margin. So back to my health company, mm -hmm. when I was doing 8%, I'm like, I just need to acquire more customers. But once I realized that the type of company I was running should have been doing 22%, 
all of a sudden I found I was losing 14% a month. I had an entirely different attitude about my P&L than I did about my razor thin margins of 8%. Sorry about the sun coming in today. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. A lot of people yeah. would just be listening anyway. Okay, yeah. so um, good. So now to continue the next, the next uh, piece, yeah. right? When you mentioned, okay, the P&L daily, right? And, and how many, uh, do you work with any Amazon, like Amazon native brands uh, currently with your company? Yeah, yeah, we have hundreds of Amazon market sellers in our, in our client base. Okay, awesome. So um, the Amazon payout, as you know, for most people is 14 days, right? Yep. And so uh, when you're saying like P&L daily, I'm like, okay, great. I'd love to have a P&L daily, but probably realistically the best sort of P&L that we would get is every 14 days, I'm assuming. And again, between when you go into different marketplaces and this and like, I don't know. Yeah, if so the, what, what, what we would be managing... What we would want to manage for a, an exclusive marketplace seller would be things like making sure that we don't screw up anything on the FBA side, that our inventory doesn't go out of stock, like certain things that would be a disaster on that end. As it relates to uh, revenue, you're going to have to still play within the reality of whatever Amazon does there. Right? That's just how it goes. Most of our clients, Amazon's a channel. It's not its only channel. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, for, let's say for us, so we do maybe probably, I want to say 95% Amazon. So it's technically not the only channel, but really it is the only channel. <laughs> um, okay. So in terms of the PNL, right? Closing out monthly. Uh, could you just give us a breakdown of the most important things? So I know some people don't do it monthly. They'll do it yearly, right? And, you know, I could give my opinions on, on how to manage that and, and what to look for, you know, as, an, as a primarily Amazon focused uh, seller. But maybe could you give me like having consulted seller, guys who do sell on Amazon, let's say sell in their own store and e-commerce, what do you see is the biggest bleeding points for uh, private label guys or even resellers, I guess, for anybody doing e-commerce? You know, for sure, it's two things. It's the cost of the product, right? The cost of goods. And it's also the loss of the customer, the re-engagement of somebody, uh, not keeping them around, like either losing them in refund and breakage or losing them because they cycle out because of the lack of either the quality of your offer or the lack of meeting the basic conditions of what you promised them. So uh, those are the two most expensive things that any product owner, especially Amazon product owners, other non-Amazon things would be, the cost of, uh, of your ads for acquiring the customer would be the cost of your merchanting. Uh, the labor cost component with operating your business, whether it's the fulfillment center, the uh, operations, or even customer service, those would be the key elements that we would continually monitor. And you have a benchmark. You should know where you sit against yourself and people that are positioned like you in your industry, and you monitor that. And so in any given time, maybe your product cost needs to come down a little bit because um, you need, we look at product costs no different than we look at uh, insurance vendors or anybody else. You should always be maturing your supply chain. You should always be working at anything from ingredient or product costs. It's actually always going to be one of the most expensive things you deal with, especially in an Amazon business. And then literally the leaky bucket of customers. It blows my mind how many, I, I used to do this. I used to care more about my next customer than the one I have. It was, it's more expensive to me to get a new one. And it is to try to sell the one I currently have. So then, wow. So there's a, a lot of pieces there. So, so first right on Amazon, it's not as easy maybe to get back to the, your customer. And uh, before I, I'm going to forget this if I don't say it now. So 
in terms of the merchant merchant uh, fees, do you, I, I want to make sure we cover some secrets on, do you know how we can reduce the merchant fee? Like let's say Stripe or Shopify, like can, can that even be negotiated? Uh, postage costs, like some of these e-commerce um, heavy activities. Right, well, I'm going to stop you right there in that yeah. one. I'm going to let you know that most people think that the retail services like Stripe and our friends like Stripe, they, everyone believes because they're so easy to set up that they're a better alternative. If you're doing any volume at all, those are awful alternatives for you. They're the most expensive. Now they'll tell you a rate that you think looks good, but once we gross up your merchant accounts and show you all your built-in fees, it's some of the most expensive retail merchanting available to you. There's so Stripe, many better As president of Stripe, like it's 2.7 plus like a cents or something like that. I think that's their charge. Shopify, yep. I think is like 2.7. And then if you go to Shopify, the highest plan is like 2.3. Shopify, I mean, I don't think, can you do a different payment than Shopify? I don't even know how that works. Maybe you of can. Of course you can. Sure. You don't need to use Shopify as your checkout cart. Most of our clients, once they realize how merchanting fees are built in into the transactional costs, most of people don't even know how to gross up their merchant accounts to see all their hidden transactional costs. You know, the average Stripe person is paying 4%, not 2.2. Is that because it's the 30 cents per transaction? or something like that? Yeah, there's more than just those transactional costs. Oh, okay. there's, a, there, there's an interchange cost built into your mids. We, we show a new client. One, Stripe and those retail solutions don't like volume. So you're at the risk of their volume. Two, their built-in costs are far more expensive than working directly with a merchant bank to provide a solution for you. So, so let's say for a Shopify store, what would you say is your number one recommended like solution to switch over from, let's say, the Shopify processing? And what is how, how do we switch it over? I would love to switch right over. I don't do a crazy amount on Shopify, somewhere between $500 to $1,500 a day, depending on the day. It's really a small portion of our business. But I mean you know, saving a couple points on that wouldn't be, wouldn't be too sad. Right, I'm going to give you something that I came up with a couple years ago and it's called the five by five by five formula. You know how many of our buddies, Aaron, sit around and say, I'm going to triple my business. I'm going to go from 5 million or I'll 10 X it. I'm going to go to 50 million next year. You know, if you actually literally want to double your profit margin, follow this formula, cut 5% of your direct expenses cut 5% of your indirect expenses. And then after you've done that, go add 5% more additional revenue and you'll double your profit margin. Hmm. Because that's, that would be assuming a profit margin aware, like let's say 15% profit margin and you just made 15, get you to 28 to 30% right after doing that. Exactly correct. Right. Wow. And so, okay. so many people are so worried about this, like, 5x thing to their business. Unicorns are unicorns for a reason. But the real metric of business is to have a two or 3x growth stretch goal. And what things can you do in there to win margin continually back? You know, the world's changed. What you and I used to have to do to beg people to buy off online from us has changed. We should no longer look to just break even on customer acquisition stuff. Right now with direct to consumer, we should be thriving in margin because the consumer has now been trained to buy online. So the habits that we've cultivated for years to sell online massively need to change towards from bottom line razor thin margins to a profit margin that's acceptable to in the marketplace already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then, okay, perfect. So then what about for, so then for Shopify, what do you think of the merchant account? Save two points, three points there, uh, even one point. Is there, is there like a solution that you know, a vetted solution of like moving over then from Shopify payments to something else? 
I mean, you can hit us up at wecarefullyaccountable.com if, you, if okay. you're someone who's got a unique set of facts. And we'll get you, we have a handful of people we love working with. We have a handful more that like people work with that we might know, or like there is more than one option in the marketplace. We don't have one, so we don't have a horse in the race at this point, but there are good providers out there. Okay, great. So yeah, guys, uh, we care at fullyaccountable.com. Um, okay, good. So I'll, I'll yeah, put you in the notes. Um, yeah, because I like I'm gonna I'm gonna have my team write to you. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I, I want to see. Can we say can we save anything? And I mean, some of the changes if someone's a U.S. based or Canadian based company and where they are located, because that has some other complexities to the type of corporation you are and what bank's gonna underwrite you. But assuming those facts are vetted out and those aren't that hard to deal with, no. uh, there are way better solutions than retail. Uh, pro- retail processing solutions are dealt. Are, were designed for low volume clients, not high volume clients. Okay, good. Perfect. Okay, so that's great. And then, okay, so what do you see uh, the biggest mistakes in the e-commerce guys? I think we went over that, which was the cost of goods. And then in reducing cost of goods, do you, I mean, clearly if you raise your price and that percentage goes down, um, what, what other things do you recommend people like how to cut cost of their goods? Yeah, so I would continually be negotiating with my supply chain like I would any other cost that I have in my company, like insurance or anything else. It, you know, at, the more you mature as a company and you prove to the vendors that you work with that you're stable and you're around, they want to do business with you. Mm-hmm. So they, you will have more negotiating power to improve your costs. Like the problem is so many guys and gals want to go for those cost shavings in the beginning when they're immature and volatile and more risky. But as you mature, that's the greatest time to go back and see appropriate discounts uh, along all categories of your supply chain. So, um, okay. So, and again, a lot of guys that are selling on Amazon, we have, you know, say China products. Prop chippers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. Okay. A spatula or like a, a pen yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So uh, coming from, uh, you know, China now in your service that you offer, do you have people, let's say negotiate on behalf of sellers or do you no. just. No, no, we, we, I mean, we actually help. So with the beautiful part of a, of a finance team is like well, all I needed and what I really desire out of a CFO for me is to show me the information. Mm. I was just blind. Mm. They would have an opinion plus show me the information and have a strong opinion and push back against some of my gross revenue thoughts. I didn't need them to step in and do certain things I was capable of doing. I was just blind. And mm. once they opened up my eyes and an aptitude to it, I can go back and negotiate with my vendor. Okay. Okay. Good. Perfect. So, uh, let's take let's take a person and they have let's say a ten percent, a fifteen percent profit margin in their business. They just yeah. found out. Okay, they close the books in January one time a year, and they go, "Oh crap!" Like, how the hell do we have such a low profit margin? You know, and yep. maybe they don't understand the PNL. So again, I think there's two customers: a person who already knows and understands PNL, and then like maybe insights for them, and then the person who maybe doesn't look at their PNL, doesn't know finances too much, and you know kind of just a little blind, like you were saying. So uh, I would like to go over those two scenarios. Like the person just goes out the year, they know very little. What would that CFO do? Someone goes right now um, and says, hey, I want to I wanna hire you guys. Come on. And of course, uh, you said you guys take seven, uh, 1 million or seven figures of revenue would be the minimum. So they're already, they're doing a couple mil. And yep. what do you do for that person who's like kind of oblivious in terms of finances? If they're oblivious, believe it or not, and the, it, I don't, if you're listening, I don't want you to shut down. The reality is every day we will take on a seven or eight figure business that literally, we know three things. 
one, your books are a mess. You probably don't have any, or you hire this nice lady we call Mary, who mm -hmm. your business has outgrown her abilities. You may or may not be tax compliant, and you're not sure any given day how much money you have in your bank. We know these are true. Some wonderfully good, mature businesses with a bunch of customers, owners are just like that. What we do is come in and write the ship, get it going, working correctly so that we can produce you the information you need. So we put the system and the structure in place and create some maturity to the business. Back on that gift thing I said earlier on fullyaccountable.com forward slash ecom leaders. Mm -hmm. I, when I was maturing in business, I wrote a book called the CEO's mindset. The first thing that has to mature is you, the leader, the habits that you created to drag your company into late six figures and into seven figures are not the same habits you need to mature a seven into eight figure business. You need to work at people and process far more than you do offer. And the reality is that's a really hard habit to change and maturing the back part of your business is part of the journey of what a seven and eight figure business needs to go through. So I don't want you to be diminished. You're not alone. Trust me, every day we're onboarding a company that has that issue. We want to help. Don't just try to clean it up. We'll do it with you. It's, it, it's a reality, but that person needs to understand the maturing of their business because what's happening first and foremost with that person is they're wasting so much expense mm -hmm. that otherwise could be uh, handled properly in the business to really improve their tax position. And then they're wasting so much expense because they don't realize where they're blowing their money in this leaky bucket. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Okay, good. Um, and so then does that include, okay, so you, you review the stuff and you go, Hey, here's, you know, here's a PNL. I'm assuming someone goes over, like, these are what all these line items are. You know, yep. this is probably the, the change, like the Delta you had. This is what you did in, you know, June versus what you did in July. And do you, do you go over those things so that person becomes also proficient themselves without needing handholding? Yeah. So, you know, remember the role of a, of, of a finance team run correctly is to do the job. We're not, you know, you, ultimately as a CEO of our company or any company I would operate, I'm not looking to be the finance guy, mm -hmm. but I need the information, right? So you're hiring a, a firm like ours to do that work and assume the role of that department. Ultimately, our job is to not get you finally equipped in that. We're freeing you up to do the things you should be doing in your company. But at the end of the day, you know, if a, run, if a properly run finance and accounting department should be doing things like operational budgets, projections. It should give you all of the accurate information so that you can run your company, not only well at its level, but ultimately double and triple it and double and triple the profit margin. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Great. And you mentioned something like, okay, you had this Mary, this, uh, kind of, a yeah. Mary bookkeeper, Mary, person, yeah. right? She exists. Okay, so she's great. Uh, there's lots of great Mary's out there. Um, right. now, uh, we had a huge problem starting off. Okay. This was probably the first year, second year, I think third. And I think that by the fourth year, we had a good person, uh, but we had cycled through a bookkeeper, a bookkeeper every year. And it had been terrible and also accounting. Like we had cycled through every year. We basically was a different person because we were never happy. And do you guys also like help with the bookkeeping side at all? Or? We do the whole thing, Aaron. We run the whole show, right? So we'll come in and assume a role. If we're only going to have like one of the roles, 
we would come in as the fractional CFO only. Mm -hmm. We call that your executive where you can rent one of our CFOs. But in reality, we actually maintain all four positions, the bookkeeper, the accountant, the data analyst, and the CFO. We run an entire solution. Mm -hmm. We're not just telling somebody what to do. We actually do the work. Interesting. So accounting. So you guys, you guys file tax returns, do the whole deal. The oh yeah, we do the whole thing. Yep. Oh, interesting. So, so it's not just the, the CFO, it's anything finance. We run the whole show. We the whole no, we, we do the whole thing. Like that, that's why I said we set out to solve a problem in this industry. We run the whole show. And as a business matures, you know, Mary is a kind lady, but she's not capable of doing gross up of merchant accounts and this operational projections on their budgets and how to actually do lead scoring and benchmarking. Those are things that, that, that the low dollar bookkeeper never signed up for or, or has any of the resources to do. What is grossing up the, the, the merchant account? That means like finding out the little things and changing it? Yes. Yeah, so when you get your merchant account, it's, it's a netted merchant account. And so everybody, I don't care who you are, if you accept a credit card and you're not grossing up your merchant accounts, then don't do anything else until you heard this and go get your person to gross up your merchant accounts. I add back all the expenses that have been netted out of your statement. Okay, okay. That's what grossing up means. Go ahead and add it back and then show you your real cost of merchanting. Mm, okay. What everyone else does now is they net it like they would an affiliate commissioner or the payment they get from Amazon. They just net it. They say, well, that's the amount we got. You gross them up and then pull the fees back out. So do you see what you're really paying for that service? Interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Good. Yeah. We, I don't think we do that. I think we just get the deposit. No, no, listen, Aaron, nobody does. When they for, come for Amazon, us, we do it for Amazon. We do it for Amazon. We use, a, we use this thing called uh, Link My Books. Um, yeah, Link Your Books. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's, it's a great solution. We, we like it a lot because it's yeah. the P&L thing. Do you guys have an in-house software or do you, do you partner up with somebody to do that kind of like Amazon statement to P&L kind of a transition? We built our own software called Your Back Office okay. that sits, it's called YBO, but it's an internal item, meaning it's an enterprise piece of software that sits on top of QuickBooks that we use as a way to uh, be better at what we do in our job and to deliver those uh, financial statements, management reports, and, 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 and grossed up invoices and, and, and statements. Okay, good. Perfect. Perfect. Good. And then, okay, so then for the other person, let's say, okay, like, like me, okay, I have yeah. a decent understanding yeah. You know, the P&L, what are the different items? Uh, even even in, the, in the finance side, right? Like the, the, the tax returns, uh, some, of the, some of that whole activity. Like I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but you know, I know enough to make some pretty decent decisions. Yeah. So let's say I said, okay, well, we don't have a CFO. Okay, so uh, I go to you and I'm like, hey, well, what, what, you know, what could you offer me? Uh, and what, what kind of things you do for, for a company uh, like our company? Yeah. So you think about a CFO, if, if they're positioned correctly, they're an executive on your executive team. And a lot of mutual clients and friends, the executive team runs real short after the CEO and founders gets like pretty scarce. There's not that many people there. And so you're renting the mind of an expert who, who's a financial expert who will act as a compatriot being an executive on your team, not just being your yes man or yes woman. They're actually helping to run at a high level, the company. And so CFOs don't do accounting, bookkeeping and data analyst work. People on their team do. 
And so the reality is we built a team around that person. But what you want a CFO to do is like when you say, I'm going to grow five times next year, like, cool, your current P&L shows that you're doing this. How do you expect to get there? You're like, because I said so. Cool. Well, I don't see a strategy how you're going to get there. You want a CFO who's actually being a real executive on your team. Real executives speak direct, honest, and we believe that a standard of criticism is necessary to really grow a company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So for example, if it's uh, Amazon, you know, if you have, let's say your cogs are, you know, 20% and you, hey, you want to triple, you know, if you're going to, which I mean, tripling is not out of the question in the Amazon space or in physical products, but the question is, okay, so your cogs, let's say you're at 10 mil right now, cogs were 2 million, you're going to triple, you're going to go to 30 million, your cogs will be 6 million. Okay, so, you know, you're the first quarter, you're going to sell 3 million. Right now, your inventory is at 500,000. You don't have money to bank. What are you going to do? Okay, well, you need to find the loan. Well, here's the loan. Like, you need to think through the, the cost. Right. And so we would put together a projection and an operational budget and say, okay, here's how you're going to get to a run rate at the end of the year here. But if every month and then every 90 days you aren't hitting certain milestones, you're never going to get there. Right. Good deal. Good. And so the, the higher up, the per, so the problem in our space in, in the, uh, as people who are buying a service for accountants and CFOs, people call themselves one thing and they're actually, you know, book, there's a lot of bookkeepers out there trying to act like an accountant or controller. And there's a lot of accountants or controllers trying to act like a CFO. Those are all different things. They're not the same thing. You know, someone who's good at accounting wants compliance. They want to organize things. They don't really think like an executive or talk about risk or deployment or growth. They just want everything to balance. And that person is an important job. We, none of our controllers or accountants play CFO and vice versa. Okay. Yeah. So you want to go over through those roles? Like what, what, in your opinion, what are each of those roles and what, what should they, and are, what are they responsible for? A CFO, it took me a long time to learn this. I'd go hire a sharp CPA who had a degree and I pay him 150, 200 grand to join my team. And I didn't realize that he wasn't going to do the accounting and the bookkeeping and the data analyst work. I was looking at all the, what I consider production work and expecting my executive to do it. A CFO is someone who's supposed to be sitting at my boardroom table, my management table, helping operate the company. And they're just a financial expert who's on their team is the data analyst. And if you're a, if you have a lot of transactions, your data analyst is producing the information that is necessary to make those real-time decisions. Your bookkeeper is the data entry person who's doing the production work. And your accountant is the one who's making sure it's all right in the right categories, under the right thing to maximize for closing out the month, as well as maximizing what you got to give back to Uncle Sam. Okay, perfect. Great. Um, great. And then one thing at the board, right? You have this board and you have the CFO. Now the CFO, let's say, what do you hire out like at a minimum, uh, uh, let's say monthly or sorry, weekly, like five hours a week, 10 hours a week, like 20 hours a week. Like I'm assuming the way we just, we design our model a little differently. You don't buy hours, you buy packages. And so, um, you know, we at a minimum, uh, someone's got a, a once a week call with their CFO, but the package is designed around the company's needs. And those packages are easy to see the, the framework of those right at fullyaccountable.com. But we, we, we decided to change the way the industry does it. We don't bill by the hour. We okay. set okay. up packages. I, I think that's company. totally fine. I, I, I'm, I'm game with that, that concept. Um, so the, the main idea is I'm thinking the CFO, how much are they going to know of the business if you're going to bring them on and they're not, let's say, full-time with our company. Uh, let's say you have a certain limited number of, of 
you know, these guys available. And maybe, you know, so you have 10 of them on, in, in your firm or maybe 20 or whatever it is, but, and that person's going to take a fraction of their time, literally <laughs> a fra fraction of their time um, right. in our company. How, like, how is it that that person's going to know about our company? What's, what kind of briefings do they get? Two, and things. How Aaron, two things. One is we only live in this space. So the mistake a lot of service firms work is they try to work across too many industries. Mm -hmm. We only live here. So all of our clients are here. So 80% of whatever is happening in terminology is happening in everybody's company. Mm -hmm. Secondly, this person's a financial expert. what e-commerce? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. It's where we live. We don't live in real estate or other stuff. We live here. This is where we live. So I train and our team trains our people only on this industry. So substantively, this is where we live. Two, and most importantly, they're financial experts. So if their team is producing the reporting necessary, you want them to understand the math of your business. And the reality is when run correctly, that's what every finance department should do. So we're the most equipped on your executive team, not the least. <laughs> You'll probably find out that your fractional CMO or your part-time customer service person knows less than your fractional CFO. Good, good, excellent. Um, awesome. Now, how about, can you tell me like a couple of stories, what kind of changes have you, have you had, you know, uh, and if you could focus to some degree on any Amazon uh, specific insights where you've come on and made a difference for a company just to get an idea of like, let's say someone did go to you, like, or let's say us, like, what is it that you'd routinely see uh, in, in your business? I, I tell you, as soon as we give you visibility to your P&L, the leaky bucket, the categories are labor and cost of goods as it relates to Amazon and those built-in costs you aren't aware of. By fixing those, we have Aaron, we have hundreds of stories of helping people double their profit margin. It's our mission, by the way, to double the profit margin of 10,000 companies. And we're, we're on our way. I don't know if we're well on our way, but we're on our <laughs> way. And, and, uh, and, and hopefully we're helping to double profit margin of companies that we're not even working with who take advantage of our resources. Okay, awesome. Awesome, good deal. Um, great. And then, I mean, I've covered a lot of the questions that I wanted to ask. Is there anything specific that you feel that people should definitely take on? Like right now, let's say they weren't going to, let's say, hire, you know, your firm or yeah. your team. Yeah. What, what should people be doing right now in terms of a finance standpoint uh, in their companies? You know, I, I, I appreciate technology automation. I'm afraid that it's oversold and people rely on dashboards. Software still have to talk to each other. And I would encourage you to have someone on your team who's looking at all of the moving parts and producing some type of report along with questions and criticisms so that people can really look at real information so they can make better decisions. Awesome. Good deal. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, meeting and, and looking at reports, I mean, first you need to have reports. If you don't have reports, That's it's right. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a little, two part equation. That's right. But, but looking, looking at them for me, it's like, okay, look in the report. What do we need to work on? And, and that definitely gives a, a, a great idea. People can do this. It usually comes down to a function of time. Uh, right. So, you know, uh, where are you going to invest your time? And so with only so much time in the day, I think well-intentioned leaders want to do these things. You just run out of time and they work on something else. I know, but also I think people run out of time doing things that are not important. I mean, there's so much wasted time in a day. Like the, the, I don't have time to me is somewhat of a myth because, okay, you don't have time, but how much time did you spend on Facebook? How much time did you spend watching TV? How much time? No, I'm with you, man. But I'm just saying like what the, happens under the need category. There's no time. Well, the need category of accounting falls right at the bottom. People treat it like bottom line bookkeeping and reconciling. Yeah. When in reality, it's one of the 
probably biggest profit centers to how to really improve your company. The, but most people who run these types of companies that you and I are, we're marketers, we're product developers. And so as a result of that, we don't have the mindset to think financially. So that language around finance is diminishing or it's overwhelming or it's intimidating. So we'd rather just go focus on getting more sales or another product. So we just don't invest the time. And so that person needs somebody investing the time to produce those reports. Uh, and you know, that mindset, change happens for you and I. And if it doesn't happen for you and I, then what we do is complain that the automation doesn't prove solve a problem that otherwise is never going to get solved. Yeah. Yeah. And then just as a final note, and I think a lot of my listeners already know this, but uh, we have created a software. Uh, it's called Samurai Seller. And it's, it's because, because two, three years ago, no, three years ago, our company almost went bankrupt because I wasn't keeping track of the profit at all. I mean, I'm, I was, yeah. I was so far in this like left side of like, you know, I know nothing about, P I didn't know what a PL was. I'd never even yeah. like done one. I, I hadn't even like, I was for, some, for a while, I ran the company without even an EIN, um, without Me a too, bank man. account. I mean, nothing, right? And Me so too. I did the same thing. Yeah, when I, when I looked at the numbers and I go, we're literally not making money. I'm, I'm working, doing all this crazy stuff, making less money than I was making when I had a job. And I was I'll like, tell you a fun story, a quick story before we leave. So I was walking up on stage in 2012 at this large event called Traffic and Conversions, and I had won an award for Marketer of the Year. And wow. on my way up to Ryan's stage, I leaned over to my business partner and I said, wouldn't it be hilarious if this audience knew when we were half of our size, we were more profitable? Wow. Wow. And uh, it's, it's crazy. And I guess at that point, as you're saying, you weren't looking at it. I went through the same experience. I went through the same experience where I was not looking at it. I'm like, whoa, I, you know, quit my job, did all that stuff. And then when I look at the numbers, I go, I'm screwed. And so yeah. anyway, we did make a software for Amazon guys specifically, uh, Samurai Seller. We have all the stuff we put in all different uh, accounts and we, that's the most PL daily that I've ever found because it takes into account the cost of goods sold, takes into account all your costs, warehouse, employees, whatever it is, and you put it in and every day you can get it. And That's awesome. So I would say that somebody should be running that tool and they should have somebody on their team, whether they're on their team outsourced or internally, who's dedicated to helping use that tool to make things better at the company. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And Anyway, that's what we do. Okay, good. Um, go, awesome, Vinny. Thanks so much for having, um, for coming on the show. It's been great having you. Um, fractional CFO, I, we're, we're still CFO-less. So, uh, hey, we, we might uh, talk a little bit later, see, you know, yeah. what, what the deal is. I'm interested, right, to see, like. Yeah, good. Oh, you should take a look. I, I encourage everyone to go through the process of an onboarding. So, you one, can see how a company does that. Two, you can learn more about what's missing and needs in your company. You, like you said, we shouldn't work with everybody, but everybody should be struggling with maturing their finance department. I agree. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. See you, pal. <laughs>